is it that motivates you? What is it that, that gets you energized when you come into a new day? What gives you strength? What gives you energy? What gives you excitement? Is it your family? Your, your spouse? Your children? Is it your career? Is it your hobbies? What, what is it that, that brings energy into your life? That, that is the place you head when you need to recharge? That this morning... As we think about those questions, we will find an unfailing answer in God's Word. We are, if you're just joining us today, if you're a visitor here this morning, you're actually coming in at the very end of a series that we began here last August. Uh, We're going through Peter's first letter, and we began this now 25 sermons ago. So we're coming to the final verses this morning. In in two weeks, I plan, Lord willing, to begin a a series on developing genuine love. What does genuine love look like, according to the scriptures? Now, at this point in this series, coming into the last chapter here, the last verses, we're we're intimately aware that Peter, Peter wrote this to a number of people who were suffering for their faith. These are believers that were scattered throughout the region that we would call Asia Minor today, and they're they're scattered because of their faith, and they've encountered a degree of persecution because of their faith. What they're experiencing is somewhat varied in intensity, but it has every indication that will increase, and it may even rise to the level of requiring some of them to give their lives for Christ. We've spent... A fair amount of time looking at this, and and as we've been doing that, we've seen that this is a timely letter for us as well. We're not directly suffering for our faith at this point here in America, but we do suffer in in various ways and in different degrees. Our our world is broken by sin. We are broken by sin, and, and that all combines to bring suffering. It leaves suffering in its wake. Sin always does that. At at the same time, we we do feel that. We may be drawing closer in our country to a time when we will suffer for our faith. The culture around us is becoming increasingly hostile toward Christianity. Suffering because we claim the name of Christ, it could be in our future. It might be God's plan for our lives. Just as that has been God's plan for believers in various places throughout the world, throughout the history of the church. Last week, if you were with us, we completed the body of Peter's letter. And when I was outlining this series, I decided that I would take one additional sermon to, to wrap things up in, with the final three verses. The, the verses that we're looking at this morning, the, these are really housekeeping verses. The, these are verses where, where Peter deals with some of the, the nuances of writing a letter. They, these verses communicate information about how the letter would be carried to the, the readers from Peter's hand. Who would be the person doing that? They include greetings and well wishes. But they also incl- include um, important final words for us. Words that can help us prepare for and endure suffering if it comes our way. They, they give us a final overall lesson that, that we are left as, as this letter wraps up, a lesson that, that we don't want to lose track of. The lesson that we will flourish amid hardships when we stand firm in the grace of God. We will flourish amid the hardships of life 
when we stand firm in the grace of God. That's the secret. That's where we need to head. When, when we are down and we're losing our energy and our strength and, and we need to be remotivated, we need to head to the grace of God. That's the secret to flourishing in this life. We will flourish amid the hardships of life when we stand firm in the grace of God. Let, let's read our verses for this morning. This the last three verses that Peter wrote in his first letter. Peter says, Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Silvanus most likely is the man that we know from traveling with Paul as Silas, likely the same guy, and he's the man that's being tasked with taking this letter from Peter's hand and carrying it to the recipients. Yet, yet, as Peter here signs off and he gets ready to hand this finished letter to Silvanus, he makes three final points that encourages us. Three final points that encourage us that we will flourish amid the hardships of life when we stand firm in the grace of God. This morning, I want to take these three points in reverse order. We'll, we'll go backwards in our text. The, the point that, that we can take from the final sentence of the letter is that grace gives us peace amid suffering. Grace gives us peace first amid suffering. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. That's the final words that Peter leaves. Those are his final words, peace be to you all who are in Christ. Now, peace was also included in some of the first words that Peter wrote. And as he began this letter, he said, May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure, back in verse 2 of chapter 1. What a significant concept for Peter to leave with those who are suffering. These are believers that are going through real-time suffering. Undoubtedly, they, they were living with some of the same types of suffering that, that we live with. They, they were dealing with the infirmities of age. They're dealing with various health issues. They had accidents that would occur and, and so forth. But on top of all that, these believers are also suffering persecution. They're, they're suffering because their culture around them identified them as Christians. And the culture also determined or decided that that was unacceptable. To be associated with Christ, to be this unique group with Christ, that was unacceptable. You would think that for this group of people, peace would seem like it was far from them. It would not be the first thing that would come to mind when they're suffering persecution. And yet, that's where Peter focuses their, their association with Christ is the very reason that they now have peace. They're suffering for Christ, but he says that's what brings peace. They have peace because they are in Christ. In Christ simply means that, that they're saved. By, by faith, they are forgiven by God for their sin. By faith, they stand redeemed before God. The hostility that, that was between them and God because of their sin is gone. They're at peace. 
It's been replaced with peace. And peace is then sufficient to enable them to withstand any of the pressures that come from living in this present evil age. We're living in the same age. Yes, it's been nearly 2,000 years since Peter wrote this letter, but we're living in the very same age as the original recipients of this letter. An evil age. We're we're living in the time between the cross that we are commemorating on, on Friday. We're living between that time and the return of Christ. We've been reminded a number of times in this letter that Christ is coming again. Because he rose from the dead, he is coming again. And we're looking forward for that return. But, but looking toward that future does not change the experience of the present. We still suffer in the present. The only thing that we have that can give us peace is when we're in Christ. The ideal of living in peace is just as strange now for us as it was for the original recipients, unless we are in Christ. The only way to have peace is to be in Christ. We must know Jesus as Savior. He came and lived his sinless life, dying, as we've already mentioned many times, rising from the dead, so that we could have peace with God. But the only way that comes is when we appropriate his work to us in faith. We're sinners that deserve eternal damnation. We have sinned against our holy God. We are rebels at heart. We are rebels in action. And all it takes is one sin to condemn us for all eternity. But Christ died for those sins. He died for that one sin. He died for every sin. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we say, God, please accept his sacrifice on our behalf, on my behalf personally, then we have peace with God. Because that makes us be one who is in Christ. Because we stand before God in Christ's righteousness rather than any attempt of our own. That and only that brings peace. If you do not have that peace in your life, talk to me before you leave today. Let me share with you how you can experience peace. Send me an email at the address that's on the screen. Let me set up a time where we can talk. And you can fully come to understand what it means to have peace with God. To be in Christ. If we have faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, if we are in Christ, then we have the grace of God that gives us peace amid suffering. Grace gives us peace. Peace enables us to flourish amid hardship and suffering. We will flourish amid the hardships of life when we stand firm in the grace of God. The first point that Peter makes is that grace gives us peace amid suffering. The second point that we're to consider is that we will stand firm through grace because grace gives us relationships amid suffering. Relationships. We, we see this idea in all three of the verses here that Peter concludes this letter with. Through this, we we realize that that we are not alone. Peter is not alone. He's not trying to stand firm without anyone else involved in his life. And neither are the recipients he's writing to. Look at these verses and and just think a little bit about this. They all apparently know Silvanus because Silvanus is familiar to them and to Peter. He's special to all of them. 
Likewise, everyone seems to know Mark because Peter mentions Mark who's with him as just in passing so they know who Mark is. Scholars are nearly unanimous that this reference that we have, she here where it says in verse 13, she who is in Babylon, that's a reference to the church in Rome. In the Old Testament time, Babylon was the city that, that represented those who opposed God and, and it drove the, the people of God into exile. Well, now in Peter's day, these Christians, they're, they're spread throughout this area of, of Asia Minor because of the hostility of the Roman government. And yet, even in Rome, in the heart of the Roman government, there are those who are chosen. There, there was the church of Jesus Christ located in the city of Rome. God had chosen and saved number of people by faith in Rome. Furthermore, there are the people scattered throughout the area here, that in each place has a community of faith that because they have one another, that they're to greet. They're, they're to express this common brotherly type of love for each other as they greet each other with, with the kiss of, of love. You put all this together, there is a vibrant community of, of faith spread throughout the whole empire that's interconnected with each other. You realize very quickly that every individual believer was integrated into a network of Christian relationships. They're, they're not suffering alone. They're, they're part of a community of faith. The, these were men and women who knew firsthand the same grace that the individual experienced. These are men and women who could come alongside those who were suffering as being, and then become the means of grace to help them as they suffer in the unique way for their faith. Now, we've talked about this before as we've gone through this letter, but, but one thing suffering does is suffering causes us to feel alone. Because suffering is something that, that we ultimately do by ourselves. And as we suffer, we can feel isolated. Our, our natural instinct when we suffer is to cut ourselves off from other people, to, to hope that if we cut ourselves off from others, isolate ourselves, that will protect us from any further pain. Yet isolation is the last thing we should do. God, in His grace, He gives us relationships. Relationships that can help us in times of suffering. The more we are hurting, the more we need other believers. God has designed the church so that we can function as a large, loving family. That we can function as the family that comes alongside even if we have no one else in our lives. When we're suffering, we need our church family the most. The, the, the rest of the people in the world around us, they, they may be hostile to us because of our faith. But the relationships we have through our common bond in Christ, they are here to strengthen and support us at all times. The people around us, those who share our love for Christ, they are the arms and the legs. They are the hands and the feet. They are the, the eyes, ears, lips that make God's grace tangible to us when we suffer. We need our church family when we're suffering. These are the relationships that God has given us. We will flourish amid the hardships of life when we stand firm in the grace of God. 
Grace gives us relationships amid suffering. Thirdly, grace gives us purpose amid suffering. Purpose. Verse 12 ends with a strong command. Stand firm in it. Well, what is it? It is the grace of God that that Peter's been exhorting us about and testifying about throughout this entire letter. He, He says, I've written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. In the grace of God that he's been talking about. This is the only time that, that Peter uses this word stand in the letter. He uses it as a strong imperative here. A word, a command that we are to do. It's a word that means we are to hold one's ground and, and maintain a position. We, we probably know this word best from Paul's use of it in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, where we have that, that famous passage of the, the armor of God. We're to put on the armor of God, and that's to give us the strength to stand firm. The, the picture that Peter builds is the same as what Paul builds. It's the idea that we are to stand firm without giving any ground. Think about a group of linebackers. They're, they're at the line, and they are going to hold that line regardless of how strong the pass attack is. There may be a great pass rush coming on, but their job is to hold the line. That's what we are to do. If you stop and think about it, this this final command has very practical application. We are, when we are in the middle of suffering, one of the things that, that we naturally start to wonder about is, what should I do now? We, we start thinking, well, if I'm suffering like this, I must have to change something. After all, I want to get out of this suffering. I don't like this one bit. The danger in such thinking is that it's easy to, to replace God's wisdom with our own wisdom. Because our goal is to avoid the pain, not to maintain our purpose of glorifying God. Peter closes out this letter telling us that what we need to do is not look for what we should do. We just need to keep on doing what we know we're supposed to do. We're to keep on doing what God has told us to do and what God has enabled us to do through his grace. God left us this book. It it tells us what to do. More significantly, when, when we do the things that God has told us to do, God gives us his grace through his spirit, so that we can do these things. Peter assumes that the readers that he's writing to, they're, they're already living in the grace of God. After all, they're, they're suffering because they're Christians. They're, they're already living as Christians. They're suffering for their faith. Peter doesn't need to tell them to start living as believers. He just tells them to keep on living as believers. Do not yield an inch under the onslaught of of the suffering, no matter what that suffering brings in their lives, just keep on standing firm in God's grace. So how about you and me? Are we currently living as believers so that all we need to do is stand firm? I hope we are. If not, we need to start. We need to step up to the line of faith and and hold that line, standing firm in the true grace of God. 
As, as we do that, we may find that suffering comes because of it. As we do that, we may find that suffering comes because that is the way that grace is displayed through us. That, after all, is our purpose. We are to display God's grace to the world around us. We exist to joyfully magnify Jesus Christ. And that is sometimes done best through suffering. As we hold the line, as we stand firm in grace, as God's grace flows in and through us, we magnify Christ. We fulfill our purpose. We will flourish amid the hardships of life when we stand firm in the grace of God. Grace gives us purpose amid suffering. That's the third point that that Peter makes in these final verses, and it's a point that he's been expounding throughout this entire letter. We will flourish amid the hardships of life when we stand firm in the grace of God. We would stand firm in, in the true grace of God as Peter has presented and has, as we've examined it here now for 25 sermons. I decided to do something different this morning as we finish this series because Peter's been exhorting us to stand firm in this grace. So I decided that we would take the next 20 minutes or so in this, sermon, this, this, this service, I'll get that word out yet, and review one more time what it is that Peter has exhorted and, and testified us, uh, what it is that he has given us regarding the true grace of God. So we're going to spend the next 20 minutes or so reading First Peter. I, I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles if you don't have your Bibles open so that you can follow along as I read this letter in its entirety. Uh, I will try to refrain from re-preaching all 25 sermons to you as we read through. But I will likely make a few comments as we go. Chapter 1, Peter starts, he writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens. Aliens, remember, right from the outset, Peter tells us it's important that we recognize that we are misfits in this world. We do not belong here. We're aliens. Aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who are chosen. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Note that anticipatory balance. We, we live in the present, but we're to look to the future. We're, we're waiting for the end of this era, anticipating the culmination of our salvation when, when Christ returns while we live in the here and now. Continuing in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while if necessary you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the final outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Properly understood here, salvation outranks everything. Peter continues, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you make careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Think about it. Because of God's saving work in our life, we know what we are to be. We know better than we did before what we are to be. We know what a holy God expects of us. We are to be holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to him as a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is really getting going now, isn't he? He's really revving it up. We've been saved, but we've been saved for a purpose. God is working in us and, and through us and as God does that, God receives greater joy and, and worship from us. For this, verse 6 says, is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. 
This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pause for just a moment and just marvel what God has done for us through our salvation. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we who were not a people are now the people of God. We who had not received mercy have now received mercy. We receive mercy that, frankly, we did not deserve in the least. But now we have received mercy. God called us out of the darkness where we were naturally comfortable. We loved the darkness. We were content in the darkness. But God called us and we followed his voice into his marvelous light. Doesn't that make you want to say glory? This is what God has done for us. Let's go on. Because of this great salvation we receive, God calls us to live differently from those who have not at least at this moment, have not at this point received the same. Living the way God calls us to live will will set us apart. It it will make us these misfits in this world. But we'll also display this true grace of God. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin, you are harshly treated, and you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right, and you suffer for it, for it, and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins on his body on the cross, 
so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, the braiding of the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. Now I'm going to pause again for for just a moment. This last paragraph here is great. God is calling us to do a lot of difficult things, as we've read here. He calls us to honor the government. He calls us to be good employees. He calls us to live rightly with our spouses, to, to keep peace with others, to be kind, and so forth. A lot of hard things, things that are not natural. The, the list of things that we are expected to do because we are saved is extensive. But then, he reminds us, 
that Christ also died for our sins. Just when we think it's too much, he reminds us that Christ suffered for us. God called Christ to die for us. He he suffered for us. He did something that is far more difficult than anything God is calling us to do. And yet, he reminds us that that was the path that God the Father designed for Jesus to achieve the highest glory possible. We can be confident that, that whatever God might call us to do is the path by which he will bring us to our future glory as well. It is not too difficult because it is the path God designs for us to follow. Chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all of this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will become that, or what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Oh, how we always need to remember that. We need to remember that no matter how hard our suffering is in this life now, God will give us a grand future. And that same future is not waiting for those who do not bear the name of Christ. God will set things straight. 
Therefore, Peter writes, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. True Silvanus, our faithful brother, or so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. We will flourish amid the hardships of life when we stand firm in the grace of God. What motivates us? What gives us strength when we're down? The answer that flows throughout Peter's letter from start to finish should be the grace of God. We will flourish amid the hardships of life when we stand firm in the grace of God. Is that where you're standing? Three things that grace does that enables us to to stand firm, that enables us to flourish when we hit these hardships of life. Three things. Grace gives us peace amid sufferings. Grace gives us relationships amid suffering. Grace gives us purpose amid suffering. This morning, are you standing firm in the grace of God? You can only do so if you're in Christ. If you know Jesus as your Savior. When we know Him, the grace of God enables us to stand firm. We will flourish amid the hardships of life. The hardships will come. Suffering is part and parcel of this present evil era. We will suffer. We will face hardships. But when we have the grace of God, we will flourish amid the hardships of life. Not just survive, we will flourish amid the hardships of life, when we stand firm in the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, this is a great letter you've given us. What a joy it has been to spend 25 weeks looking at it. We thank you for it. We thank you for the suffering that you brought upon these people so that Peter would write this letter. 
And we thank you for inspiring him to do so. Father, we too are living in the same evil era that the men and women that Peter was writing to were living in. We are living in the evil era between the the time when our Savior rose from the dead and when he returns again. And during this time, there is much suffering in this world. This world has been broken since the day that sin entered it. Christians have been hated since the day Christ rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. Father, I pray today that you would help each of us to stand firm in your grace because we are in Christ. Father, if there is a man and woman here this morning that are not in Christ, that do not know Jesus as Savior, may they recognize that they must be in Christ to be able to have your grace to endure when the trials of life come. I pray that this morning you might draw them through the power of your Spirit to a saving knowledge of Christ. Father, I pray that you would cause the rest of us to rejoice that we are in Christ. Rejoice that we have your grace. Rejoice even when the suffering comes because we know that this is the path that leads to glory. It's the path that allows us to display the work of Christ in our lives. And whatever we endure now is brief and momentary when we put it in comparison to the great glory that waits before us. So may we, like Paul, not consider this momentary affliction even worthy of mention. But may we, like James tells us to, consider it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that they accomplish the perfecting of our faith. And may we stand firm in the grace of God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.